Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. So I recently heard a story about a guy named Dennis Whaley. He was headed from L.A. to Chicago uh, from O'Hare Airport, found himself running through the airport that day. It's one of my least favorite airports to fly in, I think, next to uh, San Francisco. It's probably the second least favorite. And he finally got to gate K5, just arrived at the doors, uh, and, and, and the, plane, the doors on the plane had closed just before he got there. He was scheduled to speak that day in L.A., and uh, he begged and begged and begged and powered up with the agent. Have you ever been there and seen somebody power up with an agent? And the airlines just wouldn't open the door, even though the plane was right there at the, uh, still at the gate. They just wouldn't open it, wouldn't budge. So he was all huffy and puffy, and he runs down to the ticket counter wanting to make a complaint and rebook his flight, hoping he could still find a flight to get there possibly in time, if at all possible. And long, it was a long line. Twenty minutes later, the, 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 flight, the line hadn't moved. And then an announcement comes over the speakers. American Airlines Flight 191, the flight he was supposed to be on, had crashed. Everyone was dead. All 258 passengers, 13 crew members were dead. It was May 25th, 1979. It still to this day is the single deadliest aviation crash in U.S. history in terms of the deaths of passenger and crew. Waitley stood in that line that day stunned by the news. He left the line. He didn't file a complaint. He went home. He pinned his flight ticket to his bulletin board in his office. And for years, every time he would get frustrated or disappointed at something happening in life, he would turn around, he would look at that ticket, and it would remind him that life is a gift and you can't take it for granted. That unused Flight 191 ticket was a life symbol for him, a symbol that the past gives meaning to our present and our faith for the future. And altars are a lot like that. They are often symbols, memorials of the past that give meaning to the present and faith for our future. For Lent, we've chosen to focus on the key altars in the Old Testament, places where God's people connected with God. And today's focus, we're going to talk about how they help us remember and the importance of celebration around them. Now, I don't know about you, but I have trouble remembering some things. Some things I remember really well, like uh, I worked for my way through college at UPS, and I can still remember addresses all over Tulsa. Uh, And uh, at one point when I was in ministry in Tulsa, I had several hundred phone numbers memorized. But I can't seem to remember that I've watched certain movies. So like at least twice a month, when we're going to have a family movie night, I'll suggest a movie and my whole family will go, Really? We watched that together. Oh, I forgot. (laughs) It's weird how our minds work. What do you, what do you remember? What do you remember in life? Do you remember silly, exciting, loving things or do you remember the devastatingly painful things in life? Many of you may remember uh, where you were on 9-11. We were actually talking with our 18-year-old uh, about 9-11 recently because he was just barely a little under two at the time. And for him, this event is only remembered as another day that is written about in the history books. But we all lived it. We have our own memories of it. As a country, 
we also have a way of remembering big events and the cost paid for something. We have uh, 30 national memorials, Lincoln Memorial, Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, Vietnam Memorial, and others, and hundreds of more private memorials. And individually, we all make memorials as well. We, we do sometimes, we, we pick up sometimes weird souvenirs, right? How many of you like to pick up weird souvenirs when you're on a vacation and you bring it home? Why do you do that? Because you want something to remind you of that moment of fun in your life. Altars, while they are something that help us encounter God, places where we encounter God in a moment, they are also places where we remember who God is and what he did. And altars are symbols that help us reconnect with that God who was met us in that moment in the past, now in the present, to reconnect to truths we have learned and how we want to live going forward. And I think one of the profound truths that all of these altars communicate to us that we're studying in the Old Testament is, is that remembering in our life doesn't happen by accident. There's a discipline to remembering. We have to regularly do things. We have to have habits of remembering. Otherwise, the pace of life just propels us forward and, and distracts us, and we just, we just sometimes forget the most obvious things in our life. Maybe for you, you have a memory wall in your house, pictures uh, that highlight moments and seasons of your life. It, it's moments where you remember the good times with your family. When I walk down our memory wall upstairs in our, in our home, I see old pictures and I immediately reconnect to the emotions of those memories and how cute that stage and that moment was with our kids or, or in some instances how grateful I am for people who have since passed on. Where's your memory wall? Whatever it looks like of God in your life. What helps you do that same kind of emotive and real reconnection with the presence of God through a memory? I mentioned a few weeks ago that I have two symbols of altars in my office. Uh, I talked about one of them, the multicolored painting my sister-in-law did. I have another altar that is not a picture in my home, but I see it all the time everywhere I go. It's a U-Haul. Now, it's taken me a little while to appreciate this symbol. In 1998, with two little kids, we moved from Tulsa to Oregon and packed all of our stuff in what would uh, very quickly be termed the U-Haul from hell. Before we even left Tulsa, the parking brake went out. The diesel fuel was leaking. The U-Haul wouldn't go over 45 miles per hour. The AC went out two hours down the road on 105 degree temperatures. We made it to Denver two days later, a day later than we planned on being there. And the U-Haul repair facility spent a day and a half repairing uh, fuel lines and belts and AC compressor. And they repaired the parking brake twice and they replaced the radiator twice because they didn't fix it right the first time. On top of that, Wendy and I had pneumonia. So there's violin starting to play in the background. You're hearing that, right? Then, just as we got to the mountains of Wyoming and Utah on our next leg of the trip, the power brakes went out. And it was still leaking diesel fuel, soaking our car on the trailer behind it, ruining the paint job. Our third and our planned final leg of the trip uh, it took much longer to get to Oregon than we anticipated. And I was in, as Wendy describes when she's being nice about it, full focused mode. 
I kept wanting to drive through the night, even though the rest of the clan, including Wendy's parents, were all exhausted, wanting to stop and sleep in Bend, Oregon. I graciously said, hey, you can get a hotel, and I'll just continue on without them because I wanted to be there the next morning to be meet the realtor and sign the papers to purchase the house we were purchasing off of a videotape. And for some reason, the family didn't want me to drive alone through the Cascade Mountains in the middle of the night with a truck that had a history of brake problems. I... I don't understand that. It seems pretty reasonable to me. A U-Haul reminds me of how frustrated I was at the time, thinking, hey, God, I mean, we're choosing to move this far from family and friends, and we thought this was what you wanted. Couldn't, couldn't you, like, make it just a little bit easier? And is this what it's going to really be like all the time, feeling that we're constantly in an uphill battle? We were young and we were just making our own really altars and, and our own monuments of memory of what God was doing in our life. And looking back, I can see God's hand in so much of that process. We had more time with family and friends that, than we planned for. We, we didn't die. I still have a relationship with my family despite my, my, my tendency to go into overdrive and, 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 and that means be a jerk. A U-Haul is a symbol of reminding me that when things get difficult, God's going to get us through. I may not ever rent a U-Haul again. That's a different story. Last week, we talked about Moses. And this week, we're talking about a successor, Joshua. Uh, Moses, the leader who's finally going to lead the Israelites into the promised land. The Israelites have been in in the wilderness for 40 years, tired of eating manna, hearing about this promised land that flowed with milk and honey. And and here they are, as we're going to pick up the story, at the River Jordan. And I want you to just pause for a second. Can you feel the excitement and the nerves that they must have been feeling in this moment? They can finally see and hear and smell the land God promised them, the land the Israelites have been retelling stories about for more than 400 years. It's that kind of a moment. Let's start in the Bible at Joshua 3, verse 5. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua goes on then to give him instructions. Then the people break camp and they're instructed that when the priests step in the Jordan, they're to follow. And the priests step into the Jordan when it's at flood stage and the water recedes and stops flowing just like the Red Sea 40 years earlier. Now we've talked about this in detail. I've even shown you pictures in the past where archaeologists know pretty sure what happened. Upstream, there's this steep, deep canyon of earthen walls that the Jordan River throws through. And and what they believe happened, because it's happened a couple other times in history, is it undercut the hillside. The hillside collapsed and completely cut off the Jordan for a period of time. And one other time in history, they know that it cut it off for two days before it started flowing again. The miracle here is the miracle of timing of when it happened, not necessarily, we can explain how it happened, but the fact that it happened when the priests stuck their foot in the water is amazing. Let's pick up this text again in Joshua 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you will stay tonight. 
Skipping down to verse 19. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. 430 years. The Israelites have dreamed of this promised land that they had not seen or had not stepped foot in. Talk about an entrance I love how God gets them there. A red carpet like the Oscars? No, no, way bigger than that. Why would you swim through the river when you can part it, right? This is a grand entrance. Why did God part the Jordan River? Because he can. And he loves from time to time to show off in all of our lives and in history to give us these big anchor points of trust in him. And that's what God is doing here. Why? Because this generation crossing the Jordan with Joshua didn't see the plagues that brought them out of Egypt. They didn't experience the Red Sea. Every one of that generation had died except for a few like Joshua and Caleb and maybe people you could count on one hand. So God did for this generation what he did for the generation before. Don't you love the verse, God parts the Jordan River just as he did the Red Sea? See, That's why we build altars, because altars remind us that what God did, he can do again. The God who did this can do that. The God who got us here can get us there as well. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when and how and where. And so we get to live life with a holy confidence. What is God going to do next? The God who works all things together for good. The God who orders our footsteps. The God who does immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. What is that God going to do next in our lives? And so we live with a holy confidence. Because what he did before, he can do again. There's another lesson we get from this that we can take away, that altars lead us to intentional, regular moments where we consecrate ourselves to God. Now, our hope is that the Lenten series will help you experience more connection and more breakthrough with God, but it's not going to happen by default. Verse 5, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. What kinds of things? I love amazing things. Yeah, I love this verse for two reasons. Amazing isn't boring. Amazing isn't small. It isn't insignificant. It isn't little. It's amazing. And I love it for another reason, because Wendy says that amazing is a word that I use way too often in sermons. So last year she decided to see how much I used it, and she lost track at 12 in one message and said I needed to stop. But this verse gives me the right to use the word amazing. If we consecrate ourselves day in and day out to God, God is going to show up and God is going to show off with amazing things among us. So what's consecration? Well, 
It's not the big things we do, really. Consecration is really found in our everyday habits. In 2014, Navy Admiral William McRaven gave a commencement speech at his alma mater, the University of Texas. And you may have seen this on social media and YouTube. He was a 36-year Navy SEAL vet who, who he chose to give as his big point of advice in this, in this message something that I think is really surprising. He didn't focus on the 10-mile runs with the 50 or 80-pound packs or whatever it was. He didn't focus on the midnight swims in the freezing Pacific Ocean or the grueling days without sleep or the tactical training or skill or the ability to survive for days in hostile territory. What he pointed to as his success, as the basis of his success, was that every morning in basic SEAL training where at the time everyone was a battle-hardened Vietnam vet, the instructors would show up in the barracks and the first thing they would do was inspect the SEAL trainees bed. McRaven said this. He said, if I did it right, the corners would be square, the covers pulled tight, the pillow center just under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. It was a simple task, mundane at best, he goes on, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, he said particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors and tough, battle-hardened seals. But that simple act, he said, has proven to me over and over again. He went on, if you make your bed, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. And then McRaven concluded with this reason for why it's so important. He said, if you can't do the little things right, you will never do the big things right. So make your bed. Jesus said the same thing 2,000 years ago in Luke 16. He said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. Having those altar moments of big change, of significant encounters with God, start in the little things of our life. So what does consecration look like? Well, it might look like making an altar every morning and every evening. Maybe that involves going to your knees in prayer as you get out of bed and as you return to bed. Maybe it means submitting yourself to God's Word by taking some quiet time each day, whether it's even just a couple verses in a few minutes and allowing yourself to just settle and ponder and expect God to speak to you through that Word. It's, it's having the habit of walking throughout your day and welcoming the Holy Spirit by your words and your prayers into leading you in each moment of the day. Have you ever wondered during Sunday morning why some people look crazy raising their hands? It's, it's because raising your hands is a worship, it's a physical act of worship. It's a physical habit of creating an altar with our body right there, physically demonstrating by our actions our surrender to God and your openness to God or your praise of God. You see, altar habits in our lives are, need to involve our whole being. They, they need to involve our physical body, our mental and our spiritual. Uh, they're all reminders that we worship and we depend on God. And, and I get it. The heart in all of that is by far the most important. And I realize that some of you, maybe many of you, grew up in ritual-based churches where you did actions but your heart was disengaged. So for you... If something becomes too much like a dead ritual while you're trying to con- and you're not connecting with God, then just switch it up. But do something regularly, every day. 
And maybe even take the time to reclaim some of those old dead ritual habits by attaching a new heart to them. And if you do these things, these little things, then look out because God is going to show up in powerful ways in your life. See, seeing breakthrough, seeing success, where God fulfills promises and dreams in our lives doesn't just happen. It starts with the little things daily that we do each day to consecrate our lives to God, our habits of relationally connecting with God. And it's, not, it's all found, it's, it's basically all found in a long obedience to Jesus in the same direction. And hear, hear me clearly, we don't earn God's favor. But our determined habits that make us relationally focused toward God are the things that consecrate us to be able to even recognize and acknowledge and know and be a part of when God does stuff around us. I actually love what Will Smith, the actor, says. He says, the only thing I see that is distinctly different about me is that I'm I'm not afraid to die on the treadmill. He says, I will not be overworked. You might be outworked. You might be more talented than me. You might be smarter than me. You might be sexier than me, he goes on to say. But if we get on the treadmill together, you are getting off first or I'm going to die. And that's how he became one of the most bankable stars in Hollywood. It wasn't on talent alone. It wasn't on the simple things, the treadmill. How much do you want God in your life? How hungry are you for God? How badly do you want more of God in your life? Allow that want to create simple, regular habits of consecrating your life to God, where you talk with Him, where you observe and you connect with God. See, I suspect that one of the greatest tragedies in our life is are the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. There's a gift. There's a miracle. There's a blessing waiting for you. And sometimes you have to take a step of faith and see what God does. There's a guy named Kath, uh, Truett Cathy who's Chick-fil-A's founder. He, he passed away a couple of years ago. He's a follower of Jesus. He believed really strongly in developing young people. So in 2004, he wrote a book that it's titled, It's Better to Build Boys Than to Mend Men. And he shares one example of how he worked with a young man who needed a car and he also needed discipling in his faith. So Truett Cathy made a plan to help the young man. So he, he got him some tapes of Dr. Charles Stanley, went to him and says, I want you to listen to these tapes and we're going to talk about them and see what God does. But he actually played a little trick on the man that he didn't, the young man that he didn't know about. On the last tape, Truett Cathy recorded his own voice over Charles Stanley saying, Hey, the keys to your new car are in my office. The kid never listened to the tape. True, Kathy kept reminding him to listen to the tapes day after day, week after week, and after a month or so, he realized the young man was not going to listen to the tapes. So he called the young man into his office and he played the last tape for him, but he didn't give him the car. He said it was, might have been the toughest lesson this kid ever learned. And it was one of the hardest lessons he ever taught. And he distilled the lesson this way. He said, to receive a blessing, we often have to take an action first. Consecrate yourselves daily to God.
The final point, there's something, this is something I really need to work on in my own life, probably like many here, and it builds on our first point, that altars remind us that what God has done, that altars are places of celebration. Now, why would you go back into the Jordan River and pick up 12 stones? I mean, that took a lot of time and energy to carry those big rocks and walk the 15 or so kilometers from the Jordan to where Israel camped that night and then set them up. And you, and you know that I'm, these guys were probably macho guys. And they probably went out there and they saw the first one pick up a rock this big. And so the next one picked one. And the last guy you feel really sorry for. And he had to carry that 15 kilometers to where they were that night, right? And then... Uh, this is the way my mind pictures this. So then you know when they got there, that they, they just probably threw all the rocks in a pile for, for, for the monument. And if these men were all like me, those rocks they piled and stacked and they had wives who went, do, do you really think that rock goes with that rock? Do you think the color of that one should be there? Should, and so the, they not only carried them 15 kilometers, but then they had to rearrange them 10 times to get them right. Now, why would you do that? It's been 40 years of wandering the desert. The children had become parents having asked for decades, are we there yet? The generation was going, the, was go, this generation was no longer going to be homeless. They crossed the river to enter a land to receive flourishing cities that they did not build and wells that they did not dig. And God asks them, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of slavery. See, I think sometimes it's so easy for us to forget what God just did as we think about what's next. I think we have a tendency to press on immediately to what's next, often without really celebrating what God did and is doing in the moment. I mean, knowing human nature, knowing my nature, I'm sure as the people camped that night at Gilgal looking at Jericho and seeing the huge fortress walls that immediately the camp was probably a buzz going, what are we going to do to get through those walls? How are we going to tackle that problem? Ideas are probably flying everywhere. And God says, stop. Remember for today, do something. So today, so your children's 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 children, remember centuries from now and celebrate what you, what I did for you today. I mean, God is just saying, listen, taking Jericho happens next, but you're not ready for Jericho yet. And not until you've fully celebrated, not until you've memorialized and soaked your very being in what I did at the river just now. And God often asks us to pause and celebrate and remember and memorialize things he does in our lives. Why? Well, it takes us back to the very core theme of this whole altar series. Altars are places where we encounter God, where we make choices and we respond to God, and where we allow what God did to become a part of the very fabric of who we are going forward. And celebration is a critical element of that last point. It is that that celebration is what embeds that experience, the lessons of the experience into the very fabric of our being and our family and our community and our nation. We all need celebration rituals in our lives. Until you celebrate, you are not ready for what is next in life. Because altars and celebration give us the confidence in what God will do. Here's a question. What's the last significant challenge you've faced in your life? 
when you faced it, did you ask questions like, do I have what it takes to get through this? Can I make it? The Israelites haven't done much fighting up to this point, and certainly not the kind of fighting against a formidable fortress like Jericho that they're facing, the incredibly thick walls that are staring them in the face right now. Sure, Jordan, the Jordan was exciting, but walking those 15 kilometers, getting tents set up and getting kids settled and food made and carrying those big rocks from the Jordan, all that, they're tired and they're probably even a bit intimidated. Do you ever look at something so big in life and ask how in the world can we do this? Altars and the celebration that we do around altars help us remember that God is faithful and has been faithful in answering those questions because God says to us, no, you don't have what it takes, but I do, and I'll do it through you. And the Israelites were recipients of what God had promised for generations. For them, those 12 stones preserve God's work for future generations. What are you doing to preserve God's work and celebrate it in your life right now, much less for future generations? Think about it in our culture, the high fives, the chest bumps, the, the touchdown dances, the ticker tape parade, the wedding receptions, the graduation ceremonies. They all have one thing in common. They are celebration rituals. And I think our culture sometimes celebrates better than the church, and that's not okay. We have so much to celebrate. I actually believe that our greatest shortcoming as people isn't not feeling bad enough about what we've done wrong. I think our greatest shortcoming is not feeling good enough about what God has done. That's why we worship. That's why we share our stories don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping God and celebrating what is right with God and what is right in your life, even in the midst of all the stuff that's wrong right now because of God. The way we face our future to deal with these challenges is by being reminded of what God has done and celebrating that in our life and our family's lives and in our friends' lives, celebrating our God moments and sharing our God moments repeatedly brings confident faith in our lives and in the lives of others. What current situation do you need to run in your life through the filter of God's previous works in your life? What situation do you need to see differently? See, the Israelites chose stones from where the ark was in the river. The ark represented the power and the presence of God. They picked up the stones from that very place where the presence of God was stopping that river rather than letting them be buried under the soon-returning muddy waters of the Jordan. How many treasures of God are buried in your past? Buried because you didn't take the time to celebrate, memorialize, and remember. See, I want to encourage you this week and going forward to do the hard work of carrying those moments and encounters with God into the future. The easy thing is just jumping on to the next thing. The hard thing is taking the time to remember and celebrate God's work regularly so that our faith can be strengthened and you can see the power of God even more in your life. See, the memorials don't all have to be amazing things. Certainly we want to remember those and celebrate those. But they could also be the losses and the grief in your life. And then with time, seeing how God was present and carried you through 
Like my friend Dave, who in his early 20s went through testicular cancer, was told he was probably never going to be able to have biological children. And the pain and confusion in that season is an altar as he now reflects on being a father of seven wonderful children. The altar of remembrance for Dave is also, frankly, for Wendy and I, a regular strength in our lives because of our friendship with him. Remembering the pain then brings more beauty to the depth of of life now. Unearth those stories so that they can be a source of life to you and others. Take time to remember. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I get that we should celebrate the, you know, the, the, the Jordan River and drying up type of moments, but, but there are a lot of altars in our life that are, are actually really kind of difficult. There are altars of repentance when, when we're reminded of things that we've done that have hurt ourselves and others, and we don't want to celebrate. We don't want to remind ourselves of those things. That, uh, and there are moments in our lives when God brings us to these really difficult decisions and commitments, but, but even in those moments... Celebration is so important. Think about it. To be forgiven, that's something to celebrate. And unless we do celebrate it, sometimes we don't fully release the heaviness and the guilt that we feel, and sometimes we don't fully receive God's love. And those moments of difficult decision that we don't always like to remember, those times when we were tempted to cut and run, but we chose to stay in a relationship, we chose to love even though it hurt, there's celebration in that as well. Maybe you can say you've never seen the power of God like that. That's what being in relationship and community can do because we help each other bridge to the power of God. Sometimes I need your faith and I need your stories to help me encounter God and sometimes you need mine. In fact, that's actually what Revelation 12 verse 11 says. It says this, They triumphed over him, referring to the evil one, by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, and, and by the word of their testimony by the word of their testimony. Our testimony is our celebration of God's work in our lives and the lives of other people around us. A triumphant life, this scripture tells us, involves celebrating God's work over and over again. What has God done in your life that has changed you, encouraged you, inspired you, grounded you? See, these moments help serve as a bridge to help you face What's next? They serve as a bridge for others and they help the next generation take the narrative of the Bible, the stories about God and make them into stories about your God and then it becomes their God. I know that when my dad visits, whether he tells a story great or not, my kids love to hear him tell of how he was healed from permanent heart damage, from six heart attacks, and how he climbed a mountain to prove it to the insurance company that he was healed and the doctors. And he tells other stories about God in his life. And your kids will likely want to hear those stories from your life as well. And even if they don't want to hear it, Later on, your stories, if you will tell them, will become rocks in their faith. If you'll remind them and you'll celebrate them and of God showing up over and over again in your life. What are the memories, the stories in your life that God wants you to never forget? 
Here's a little homework, simple exercise you can do this week. It's a timeline of your life that you can help you identify the God moments in your life. There are handouts in the lobby you can grab to make it easy for you. You can take them on your way home. They're on the little short table by the main entrance out front. Use this timeline and take a few minutes to look back at your life and jot down events or periods where you sense God looking. What I, I love a quote by Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill once said, the farther backwards you look, the farther you are likely to look forward. So take the time to look back across the entire history of your life. Even if you didn't become a follower of Jesus till later in your life, God was at work even early on. It is the faithfulness of God that gives us faith for the future. So examples of this could be how God met you in the midst of a storm, how God provided for you when you were in need, how how God grew your character, humility, patience, compassion, or confidence, Uh, maybe a time when God convicted you of sin and gave you a whole new appreciation for his grace and his love and his forgiveness. Or maybe it's a time when God gave you a greater understanding of what it meant to love like him and serve others like him. They could be moments of your direct experience of God, or they could be moments where your family and friends had a close encounter with God and it impacted your life in a positive way. Maybe to help jog your memory, try completing the statement, I remember when God, and just complete the sentence. Take the time to unearth some of those buried stories of celebration and remembrance. And then tell those stories this week and the next week and the next week after that to your family, your kids, your friends, your small group. And if you'd be so bold, I want to encourage you to share some of those stories on the Quest Facebook page so that we can all be encouraged and anyone who goes to the page can experience stories of a God who loves to be real to us. Here's an example actually of mine that's a little bit too small, but, but I, you know, the ones that you can read, you've probably heard me tell parts of most of these stories at different times up here. They give me confidence for God's future, for me, for us. I've told you bits and those, bits and pieces of them. And let me say this. I'm not a faith, I'm not, I'm not the most faithful of all journal, journalers. I'm not as faithful in that as I wish I were. I've journaled many, most of these stories in some place, but, but journaling? is a really good monument celebration story building habit. As you reflect on what you write down this week, is there anything you really want to thank God for? Take some time to celebrate it again. Any lesson that maybe this lesson has grown faint over time in your life and you want to reintegrate it back into your life, allow yourself to think about that this week as you do this. Would you take some time to pray and stand with me? Father, thank you that you're a God who is not always, you don't push us to have to prove ourselves constantly. Lord, I know that when I, when I don't celebrate and I want to move on really fast, it's usually because I, I got that done and I want to prove myself again. But God, you're a God who loves for us to celebrate. You're a God who loves for us to, to rest and take time and to learn. And you're a God who loves to show up and show off in our lives. Lord, forgive me for the ways I have run too fast and I've forgotten to do that and as a result lost things. So, Lord, for me and for all of us here, I pray this week that you would stir our memories, that your spirit would come to us and you would help us remember how you've been with us.
Lord, for some of us, there's painful places in our past where we have never seen you there, and I pray that you would come and that you would show us how you were indeed there walking us through those moments. Lord, for some of us, there are great moments where you, where you came and did something and we've allowed that to be forgotten from our consciousness. And there's something you want to bring back to our lives for us to remember so that we can walk into the next thing you have us have for us. Lord, I pray that you would bless us with a period here of weeks of just great celebration as you bring things to mind. And would you be glorified in all of that? In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.